All right, if you have your Bibles, um, if you need a Bible, we have Bibles at the back available for you. Does anyone need a Bible here? Anyone need a Bible? Um, we will have some of our serve team provide Bibles for you guys at the back. All right. We've been studying the book of Colossians, um, and today we will carry on with our study of the book of Colossians, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. All right, so follow along uh, as I read. What I'm going to do, actually, is start reading from verse 15, from verse 15, just to give us an idea of the context. And so from verse 15, here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And verse 21 to 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Pray with me. Father, it is at times like this where our need for you is great. Father, you are all we need. And so, Father, as we discover discover from these passages um, what we were like before you saved us, May this reminder help us grow in our love for Jesus. We need you so much. And so, Father, I pray for this morning. Um, Just so much going on um, in our lives personally and in the life of our church. May you encourage us through this passage 
and may it help us endure um, through this challenging season. It's your word, it's your truth, it's the power of your spirit that will enable us not only to understand, um, but also apply this truth to our lives. And so help us and help me. And may you do beyond anything I'm going to say, Lord. It's your people, it's your word, and so I'm trusting in you and your spirit to do what I can never do with this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The last time we were in Colossians, um, we were reminded by Paul, and Paul is the author of this letter to the church in Colossae, that Jesus is enough, all right? Paul helped us know this by unveiling to us the greatness, the preeminence, and the supremacy of Jesus over creation and spiritual life. That is what we discovered last time we were in Colossians. We discovered that Jesus is supreme. We discovered that Jesus is preeminent. We discovered that Jesus should be first among all creation. Now, in verses 21 to 23, which is our passage for this morning, what's happening is that Paul pumps the brakes, he pauses in order to show us how these great truths about Jesus and what he has done for us can have a great impact on all of us. And he does this by reminding us of salvation from three different angles, right? And they are our past alienation, if you're making notes, our past alienation, our present acceptance, and our future assurance, okay? First, let's look at our past alienation. Look at verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds. First thing I want you to do is focus your eyes on the word alienated. You can circle it. You can underline it. Do whatever you want, but highlight it. It says, uh, um, this word is not used much in our day and age. Okay? And what I mean by that is, it's rare to hear someone in our day and age use the word alienated. You never hear anyone saying, dude, I feel alienated, man. Like, you never hear that. Okay? The word alienated is related to words like estranged, cut off, or separated, okay? To be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy is a sentence that captures the meaning of this word. In the world of, in the world of social media, for example, alienated can be likened to being unfriended or blocked, right? You're excluded. And because this letter, as we've discovered, is addressed to believers, to Christians living in a city called Colossae in the first century, it's a sobering reminder of our past, of a past alienated and separated from God, a life outside the sphere 
of God's blessing and protection. And what this is saying is if you're here and you're a Christian, all right, before you were saved, you were disconnected from God, you were separated from him. And this separation or alienation from God expressed itself in a mind that was hostile to him. Look again at verse 21, and it says, And you who were once were alienated and hostile in mind. In other words, before we were saved, we were not only separated and alienated from the life of God, but this alienation, what it did was it caused us to be enemies of God in our minds. It, uh, no, no, no. So look at the word mind, right? It, it absolutely deserves our attention, right? Because it carries the meaning, right, of using the mind for reasoning and critical thinking. And so what this is saying is that before we were saved, we were not just emotionally opposed to the idea of God. We were resolved in our hostility towards God because we had developed a list of reasonable arguments in our minds that reinforced our hostile attitude towards him. What this then means is that before we were saved, because of our hostile mind towards God, we had no love for the Creator, no desire to grow in our knowledge of who God is, and no desire to love Him. Because this is telling us, I'm not telling you this, it's there, because this is telling us that we were actively opposed to God with our heart, soul, and mind. Because we were separated from God, we were not only hostile in mind, um, this then opened the door to a lifestyle driven by evil deeds. Now look at verse 21 again. Let's have a look. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, what's the next part? Doing evil deeds. Alienation expressed itself not only in hostility of mind, but also a lifestyle of doing evil deeds. A life that is separated from God and the mind that is at odds with God leads to a way of life that is not pleasing to God. If we seek to do what is right and pleasing in our own eyes instead of what is right and pleasing in the sight of God, that is viewed as evil deeds. I know, okay, that what we've just been exposed to is hard, is harsh, and hard to hear, okay, and hard to believe, okay? Because you may be thinking, hold on, hold on a little bit. Personally speaking, before I decided to follow Jesus, I don't feel I was alienated from God. I grew up in a Christian home, for some of you. I went to church with my parents. I might not have accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, but I was not alienated from God. A word like alienated doesn't describe 
my past at all. On the other hand, there's some in here that are like, hey, I didn't grow up in the Christian home. I didn't. Um, I may have been separated from God, didn't know a lot about God, um, but I was actually a good person. I may not have believed, but I sure didn't hate God. I had nothing against Jesus. The people who hate God are the people that are persecuting Christians. So there was no way I had a hateful, hostile attitude towards God. No way. And some of you might be saying, I was a good person as well. I never stole anything from anyone. I never murdered. I never, I never you know, cheated on my taxes. I was a genuinely good person. I may not have believed. I may not have believed the faith and believed Jesus Christ, but I didn't do anything evil. Being a person that did evil things doesn't describe my past at all. Many of you here would say that words like alienated, hostile, and evil deeds don't describe your past. Absolutely, the struggle's there. The struggle's real. You're struggling to agree with the fact that before you were saved, you were separated from God, you were hostile in your mind toward him and behaved wickedly. Stephen J. Cole, who's a pastor in Flagstaff, Arizona, says this, about your struggle. If you feel that those words are too harsh, you haven't yet come to know your own heart in the sight of God. Listen, hostility towards God is not only manifested by those who are persecuting Christians, but the mind that is hostile towards God is also displayed when a person is unwilling to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and the King of their lives. Not many people will say that they're hostile to God in their mind, but they demonstrate hatred towards God by, by, by their continual refusal to recognize or acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord of their lives. Also, some people are hostile towards God and they don't even realize it. They wouldn't verbalize it. They wouldn't go around saying, I hate God. I don't want to know God. I hate. No, they wouldn't say that. But their hostility becomes evident when the slightest mention of God or Jesus upsets them greatly. Paul here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, before you were saved, that is, if you're here and you have decided to follow Jesus and live for Jesus, before you were saved, you were separated from God, hostile in your mind towards him, and acted wickedly. What this also means is that if you're here and you're not a Christian, you haven't made an informed decision to follow Jesus, you haven't made that decision to allow Jesus to be the king of your life, what this then is saying is that you are separated from God 
you are hostile in your mind towards him, and no matter how good you think you are, as far as God is concerned, your good deeds are not good enough. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says that your righteous deeds are like polluted garments. This is the way all people without Christ are seen. It's hard to hear. It can be offensive, but it's the truth. Lady Huntington was a radical Christian woman who lived in the 17th century. She once managed to convince a friend of hers, the Duchess of Buckingham, I love those titles, to go and hear George Whitfield preach. Who is George Whitfield? George Whitfield um, was, has to be one of the greatest preachers ever lived. All right? And so Lady Huntington manages to get the Duchess of Buckingham to go and hear George Whitfield preach. And after hearing George Whitfield, this is what the Duchess had to say. It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. And I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with the high rank and good breeding. Whatever she meant by that last sentence, I don't know. But basically what she's trying to say is that in hearing what her state or condition is, she was offended by it. She was offended by the fact that because she's not a Christian, she is separated from God. Before she, before, because she's not a Christian, she's hostile in mind to God. And because she's not a Christian, no matter how good she thinks she is, her good deeds and her good works are just not good enough. This is the grim and stark description of those who are without Christ. This is a diagnosis of your life before you heard the gospel message of reconciliation and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were an individual separated from God. You were consumed with a hostile mind towards God. And as a result, you lived in a way that displeased God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were in this state of hostility, even when we were hostile in mind towards God and living for ourselves, guess what God did? He made us alive together with Christ. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. At the age of 30 years old, he began his public ministry and attracted followers who he called disciples. He taught them who he was. 
One of the greatest truths he taught them was that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. But the religious and political leaders didn't like what Jesus was teaching. And so what they did was they invented false accusations against him, which eventually led to Jesus being sentenced to death. Death by crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus was nailed to the cross, God placed on him all of our sins, all of the bad things we've done. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. And when Jesus was hung on the cross, this exchange is known as the great exchange. Okay? Jesus took on our sinfulness, right? And we took on his righteousness, his right standing before God. He who knew knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. While Jesus hung on the cross, at noon the sky suddenly darkened. Darkness fell across the whole land. Three hours later, with a raspy tone to his voice, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. These were Jesus' last words before his head fell lifeless on his chest. And he breathed his last breath. Jesus was then taken down from the cross and they buried him. But on the third day, according to what the Bible says, he rose again. He resurrected. He defeated death. After that, many people saw him, including his disciples. And he instructed them to go out into all nations and make disciples. He ascended back into the heavens where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before God the Father. This is true. This is not a story. It is true. Jesus died for our sins. Because of all that Jesus accomplished for us, verse 22 reminds us, look at it, of our present acceptance. It says, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless And above reproach. If you're here and you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ's death and resurrection, this is the truth about you. You stand right now in God's presence as someone who is holy, blameless, and without a single fault. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you have the opportunity to accept and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the King of your lives. And as soon as you do, you will stand in God's presence as someone who is holy, blameless, and without a single fault. 
Now, the word reconciliation means to restore former, a former relationship to a state of harmony. This then means that it's the reestablishment of a love relationship between two alienated persons. That is what reconciliation means. And one of the most profound and clearest illustrations of reconciliation has to be one of my favorite stories, which is the story of the prodigal son. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. Um, let's flick there now. And we're going to read that story together. Luke chapter 15, um, verse 11 onwards. If you're there, say, there you are. <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 15, verses 11. All right, I'm going to read. This is a marvelous story, and it illustrates reconciliation um, really well. You guys ready? All right, let's read. And he said, this is Jesus, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. How ironic, the timing of that, right? And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I love this part. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and gave him a big kiss. That's like my version, all right? Verse 21. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. 
he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This story should remind us all of our own reconciliation with God, our Heavenly Father. Like the prodigal son, we were separated from God, our Father. Like the prodigal son, our decision to live a life apart from God was because of our hostile mind towards him. Like the prodigal son, we spent the life God has given us seeking satisfaction in things that left us empty. We chose to live for and worship creation rather than the creator, like the prodigal son. If you're here and you're a Christian, we then recognized our need to be reconciled with God. We realized that a life separated from God was destined for destruction, like the prodigal son, upon this realization, we turned our gaze towards God and we were then exposed to how loving and gracious he is and how he took the initiative by coming in the person of Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, even though we didn't show any interest in mending our relationship with him. The moment we chose to end our rebellion by asking Jesus to forgive us and making him the king of our lives, we became permanently reconciled to God. Amen? What about you? Have you been reconciled to God? Or are you still alienated and separated from Him? Right now, are you ready to turn toward God, admit that you have been a rebel, and then receive the gift of forgiveness that Jesus purchased through His death? If you insist, that you're a good person and do not need his grace, your pride will keep you separated and alienated from God. If you insist on cleaning yourself up before you return to God, your pride will keep you separated from God. But if you turn from living your life apart from God, and come as you are to Jesus and recognize him as your savior. He will reconcile you to God. Finally, our passage for today not only lets us know what we once were, our past alienation and where we now stand, our present acceptance, but also reveals to us our Future assurance. Remember when you were saved. Remember when you became a Christian. I remember. All right, I was in my living room watching this preacher on TV. And he looked at the TV and said, I know some of you are watching. And I said, oh my gosh, he knows I'm... Yeah. 
And if you're, if you're watching and you want to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do it right now. Right now. And there I was in South London in an apartment in my living room. It was dark. And the only light that was present was the light from the TV. And I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, if you're real, help me to know you and see you. I want to live for you. I am sick and tired of living life apart from you. I am sick and tired of living my Christianity that is based on my mom or my grandma's religion. I want to know you. I have heard and I want to believe. So Jesus, save me. Remember when you were saved. Where you was, what you was doing, what you was wearing. This is what happened. At that moment, the moment you were reconciled to God through Jesus, he began this work in you. He began the work of transforming you. And this is because Jesus doesn't only want to forgive us, but he wants to transform us. He desires to chisel away from our lives sins corrupting and damaging power. What Jesus wants to do and is doing, if you're here and you're a Christian, is that he wants to give you a spiritual makeover from the inside out. And the purpose of that is to make you more and more like Jesus. And the only condition for this transforming work is that we stay focused on the gospel. All right? Look at verse 23. I love verse 23. Look at it. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which part oh, I became a minister. Okay, so far in this series, right? If you've been keeping up with us, for all those who've been here for multiple weeks, if you haven't, you can go back and listen to it on our podcast. Shameless plug. So far in this series, all right, in this series, we've discovered that one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae was to warn them about the subtle arguments and false teachings that threatened to undermine their faith. Paul is concerned that some of them will be enticed and lose focus. This is because the gospel they were hearing from the false teachers who had infiltrated the church was different to the gospel they had heard from Paul through Epaphras. So what Paul is doing is that he is reminding them to stay focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question is, how are they supposed to stay focused on the gospel? One of the ways, or two of the ways, is found in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. And it reads, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. The word here, the word of Christ, that phrase at the beginning is a phrase that can mean the gospel, all right? So Paul's command to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is another way of saying, stay focused on the gospel. And so, one of the ways to stay focused on the gospel, we see it in this, you know, in Colossians 3.16, is by teaching and admonishing one another. I've always said, okay, as a church plant, we're like eight weeks, nine weeks old or something like that. Nine weeks, eight weeks, I don't know, I can't remember. But from the beginning, one of the things I've desired to see and we've been reminding each other of it's, it's that we are all in the game. What I mean by that is no one is on the bench. What I mean by that is everyone's in the game. And what I mean by that is, that was crazy. What I mean by that is the work of the ministry in encouraging and in teaching and in admonishing one another is not only limited to the pastor of church leaders. If you're here, you're saved, you have God's spirit, you are more than capable of encouraging and teaching someone something. And so as a church, that has been one of our values. We want to encourage one another in teaching and, 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 and encouraging and admonishing one another. Mutual teaching and encouragement is something we want to encourage. Another way we can help each other stay focused on the gospel is by singing spiritual songs, right? It's in there. Did you guys see it? Colossians 3.16, am I making this up? Am I going crazy? No, it's in there, right? That is another way we can encourage and help each other focus on the gospel, Singing is a powerful way for us all to help each other stay focused on the gospel. So as a church, we are very intentional about picking songs that are biblically based and theologically sound. And so when we are singing, when you are singing, recognize that you're not helping yourself focus on the gospel, but you're helping each other focus on the gospel because they can hear you communicate in truth. Mutual teaching and encouragement and singing songs that teach are two ways we'll seek to help each other stay focused on the gospel. Humanity's condition is terrible, but God's reconciling purpose is to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. While the scriptures paint the darkest possibilities for man apart from Christ, when one is reconciled to Christ, he or she will be presented before him as holy, without blame, and beyond reproach. If we have been reconciled, this is our position before God right now. And it will be increasingly true in our life as we grow into his image. So King's Cross Church, repeat after me. I once was lost... 
But now I'm found. I once was blind. But now I see. I once was a rebel. But now I'm reconciled. To God. Through Jesus' death and resurrection. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, may you magnify your Son in the hearts and minds of everyone here. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.